Welcome back to the Spinner Rack here at the Marvel New Universe Comics Podcast, the voice of the new universe. <laughs> we are your hosts, Stephen with The Merc, number 12, and, and Andy with Kickers, Inc., number 12. Let's just shorten it to Inc., 12. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> it started in 1986. Uh, our new universe was an imprint from Marvel Comics that was dedicated to a more grounded and less fantastic abro- approach to comics and world building. The idea was the world outside your window with real-time progress and reasonably or cinematically realistic technology, physics, astronomy, and biology. Uh, Eight new comic series launched in one month, set in our world in 1987. Uh, But now as we close out the first year, uh, the world still largely doesn't know about paranormals except for a few secret agencies, (coughs) CIA, um, And with our podcast, you can follow along with us each week, which you should, uh, as we go through every comic in the order they hit the spinner rack, or just check out individual comics if you already have a favorite, as long as they have not been canceled. Um, With us, we've got a website, kickersinc.com. We have a still rolling season two super sleuth sweepstakes still available. Too many alliterations. Uh, and in fact, it's the summer sweepstakes. Summer, yeah, I know. <laughs> in fact, uh, we will be doing a season three one that there is like actual progress on. So, um, we've been running a slogan contest. If you can beat Voice of the New Universe, uh, we have a Twitter at Kickers Inc., and we occasionally lurk the Facebook fan page, Marvel Comics New Universe Fans, which is a friend of the podcast, though we don't run it. We do not, but many uh, uh, cool guys do. <laughs> this week, I'll be covering the Merc. Uh, combat veteran Mark Hazard had, had been a soldier of fortune since Vietnam, but he had lost his relationship with his son and ex-wife. He tried to put his family back together and reevaluate his life while dealing with the real world repercussions from his decades of fighting and i guess lynn griffin is also a mercenary and maybe cia shill but so what i don't know (laughs) this week the merc number 12 mercenaries lynn griffin and the sergeant major train afghan tribesmen to fight fully armed soviet troops only to have the tribesmen fight become their own Afghan Strike is written by Doug Murray, illustrated by Gray Morrow. Or shorter, Merc number 12, in a training camp for Afghan freedom fighters. Kind of makes it sound like they're teaching him to throw rocks or something, like against the fully armed Russian troops. <laughs> yeah, the Afghans do have some guns, I, I guess, plus other stuff. I guess if Jenny Swenson could take out a, a Russian Max armor with a rope, then uh, <laughs> maybe the Afghans uh, are just as plucky. <laughs> um, and yeah, so and this week I'll be covering Kickers Inc. Uh, recording this on Super Bowl Sunday as it is. Uh, not much football going on in this issue. Um, so Kickers Inc. Uh, top professional football player Jack Magnaconti gains real superpowers, possibly, hopefully, from his shifty scientist brother, but probably from the white event. Uh, when his brother is killed, he bands together with his wife and teammates to form Kickers Inc. Last resort answer to people who need help, as well as a target for CIA scams. 
um, and an occasional, you know, cocaine mules. Uh, so far, all it's cost him is his quarterback position, football team, and any public respect. <laughs> so uh, this week in Kickers Inc. number 12, a relay race designed to restore the kickers. Turn, what could go wrong? Uh, turns into a dangerous test of survival for kicker Jack Magnaconti in Watch Your Step, written by Terry Cavanaugh Kav- and Ron Altaville, penciled by Rod Wiggum and inked by Tony DeZuniga. So the short version, uh, Kickers 12, the kickers challenge a Canadian hockey team. I believe last episode we were wondering how relay race and Canadian hockey team fit together, but we found out. (laughs) Yeah. Um, It is a a, um, flashback to our fun past there. Yeah. A delightful romp, we'll call it. (laughs) Um, we'll also be discussing that both books got canceled. <laughs> wah, wah, wah. Uh, besides that, uh, the cancellation in Universe News, uh, they also had a continuation of the slogan contest, so we can harshly judge people's 30 year old uh slogan ideas for uh <laughs> the new universe and see where that gets us, I guess. Maybe we'll make fun of all the Canadian entries just to uh, keep in the spirit of the uh, book today. <laughs> Were there specifically Canadian entries? I didn't. I wasn't. I mean, there's a couple of them have like uh, their home addresses: uh, Ontario, British Columbia, Alberta. Hmm. We won't uh, dox any thirty-five-year-old uh, uh, submission entries uh, unless we have a winner there. But anyway. <laughs> I don't think we have the reach. (laughs) (laughs) Um, We're going to, I guess, jump right into our first book, The Merc, number 12, which came out, it was cover dated October 1987, and we believe hit the stands June 30th of 1987. And uh, unusually for the new universe, this one actually says on the cover, last issue. Um, Mark Hazard has been removed, so it is just Merck. And um, although the inside cover, the Indicia, still says Mark Hazard, colon Merck. So it's it's up to you how you want to organize your comic book collection. I just put these in with at the end of the Mark Hazard marks, but that's just me. Well, they didn't um, give it a new issue number or anything, so. That's also true. They, uh, <laughs> See, that's another, like, the new universe did not believe in renumbering things, starting over with issue number ones all the time. Sure, it might have been more sales, but I don't know. Um, Let's see. As uh, we noted last week, the um, new universe logo at the top is now changed. We've got both cases today are, it's, black new universe on a white background and uh this mark hazard merc issue has a cover i think maybe the third in a row of of lynn griffin um yeah uh him there's no airplane um, this time though yeah he was jumping off an airplane and then he was breaking in the door and now he's charging a presumably a soviet tank um it's not it's a nice composition i'd say like you've got a kind of a 
soldier's eye view of this group of uh, Lynn and maybe Sergeant Major with an RPG and a um, Afghan tribesman with an, I don't know what, AK-47 or something. And they're charging up a hill towards a Soviet tank. And uh, I think you see a hind in the background there as well. And yeah, the RPG is being fired from like 10 feet away. So I'm not quite <laughs> just throw a grenade at that point, I guess. But anyway, what can um, it does have a nice dramatic uh, flair to it. So I like the cover. I'll, I'll give it that. Um, turn inside. We got a splash page. The title Afghan Strike. And it's a um, in sort of a Arabic-ish um, stylized font. So it has a nice look to it as well. And, um, but the splash page is um, three men in um, sort of a cliff top overlooking a valley and another mountain um, where there's some sort of a convoy. And the... Um, Narration box starts off a northern province of Afghanistan. A small group of freedom fighters prepares a special ambush. And the uh, there's a couple in military outfits that we would recognize, probably Sergeant Major and Lynn Griffin. They're back to us. Um, and then several of these Afghans in more tribal gear. Um, the credits are, again, story Doug Murray. Pencils are not Gray Morrow. It's Vince Gerriano, Yorano, who may have done, yeah, I forget. And inks by Pat Redding. I don't recognize it all. Um, mm. it, art style, I need to go back and look because it was um, looked more like Mark Hazard number four or so. There was a, like a issue that art was a little further off on. Um, so the, the military guys are saying, now wait for it, wait for it now, let them get a little closer. And turning the page, we've got uh, the battle starts up. The uh, uh, freedom fighters start off with uh, some, some sort of uh, explosion under this convoy. And I guess it's the Heinz, the Soviet helicopters are uh, attacking them directly. Yeah. Now that they're in position, the uh, fighters in the hills above it, the cliffs above it, have some uh, stinger missiles, I suppose. And they say, now, open fire. Let's see how they handle this. And so the stingers head right at the helicopters and take one of three out. Um, the guys are like, they're trying invasive action. Uh, I don't think that it'll do them much good. And the other two are exploding. And then we see the tribesmen celebrating yay watch your heads so we had a bit of a conversation um i think it's too risky to expose part of your force as a decoy it was necessary my friend and the uh, other tribesman is saying didn't we leave because of the you know all the smoke will draw more attention and uh, sergeant major is uh speaking of smoking is having a cigarette um, and saying that, uh, don't worry, the uh, Soves know that we got their hinds. They'll send ground troops next time. And uh, Lynn Griffin there, smirking as well, says, they'll be careful about it, so we better head back to camp. 
There'll be a lot of planning to do. So much later in a shielded valley, some distance away, you have a bunch of uh, tents with Arabic-ish writing on them. Um, sort of a funny um, makeshift wagon where it's like the back of a station wagon, except it's hitched to a mule. Um, <laughs> it looks like something we'd see back in like Eugene, Oregon. <laughs> <laughs> Very eco-sensitive and uh, right. you know, works on re renewable resources. That's um, definitely a twist. I mean, I'm always used to the Middle East. They always have the Toyota pickup truck with the gun mounted in the back. Like that's like the classic. Right. So, but I guess when you're more rustic, you got the horse and the half a wagon. Yeah, the, um, the Afghans, I, I, I got to admit, I did admire their like... Um, ability to keep things going indefinitely i was like maybe we should get toyotas too these guys they, they seem indestructible so um the it's a good sales pitch honestly if, if, uh, <laughs> i don't think i ever saw it used in a commercial but you know no <laughs> <laughs> so um inside one of these tents uh lynn is uh shilling the cia party line i mean uh advising the Afghan freedom fighters. I tell you, it must be done. If you let them leave on their own, you'll never be free of them. Never. The uh, Afghans are sitting there like, oh, I've heard this before. Um, we see one of one of the guys has a baby with him. Um, <laughs> Just strap the baby to your back and attack those Russian bases. Come on. You got to teach them a lesson. Um. So one of the younger guys um, is Afghans is saying, but if we attack them in their own bases, but uh, Sergeant Major is there, like, uh, you know, to really give them the hard sell. We must, laddie, just to prove we can. And uh, the, uh, if you don't buy the undercoating, your car is going to rust. <laughs> it's like throwing away money. Throwing it away. <laughs> Look, you can't just let an army leave. You have to, like, pick a bigger fight with it <laughs> and i think that guy uh who's worried is uh barback who's a kind of a keanu reeves lookalike later on yeah but Bro Bro brock um is uh or as i call him al zuahiri um but osama i mean um kamal, kamal. the uh elderly leader says so be it the american is right as he shovels um money bundles <laughs> of cash into his jacket i guess that's not shown okay never mind we must take our country we cannot let them give it to us early the next day i oh, hear it is yeah we you see babrak uh lynn is advising this young guy if we stay above the trail and keep scouts far enough in front so he's he's like the military advisor we always hear about in these uh unaligned countries oh we just we don't have troops there we just sent some military advisors yeah. private, private contractor it's he's got a contract he's got a contract uh, what court is that contract going to be upheld in <laughs> i don't know court of public opinion the merc public opinion coast guard tribunal 
the uh, so they are off on another adventure, and uh, um, they're like, oh, okay, they're it's they're just uh, around the corner and below us. So we have a couple of panels of um, the Afghans running down a hill to attack a Russian convoy. And I was trying to figure, like, was that really a Russian convoy, or was that just like a training mission or something? There's a couple of guys who it's could not really be, shooting, yeah, like more Russian style, and then there's a bunch of like locals in turbans. So it's more like civil war with like Russian advisors on one side and American advisors on the other, perhaps, but maybe. Yeah, um, like at the like they charge down to attack them down at the bottom of the valley but then like we got like a such a, like a far panned away shot where it just looks like clouds and them like punching each other though it's like like they're having a scrum or something it just seems a little strange yeah i mean they they had all these explosives a minute ago and now they're just i mean it's not even like rifles from a distance they're just like uh, uh it's more, it looks more like trench warfare yeah you just up yeah. down and and hand to hand combat. I don't know. I'm pretty sure if, like the the main benefit of both high ground and guns is distance. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> right, yeah. not like just let's run up and suck them in the kisser. <laughs> Whatever. This is Lynn Griffin's advice to them. I'm a little concerned about their long term viability. Um, but he's saying that if the Russians use their normal tactics, we'll, we will have the advantage we need. Um, there's a nice ad at this across the uh, page at this point for the uh, Forgotten Realms, the first uh, box set that came out from uh, TSR um, with the Forgotten Realms um, world. Okay. Yeah, Once you've been to the Forgotten Realms, you'll never forget it. Uh, obviously, uh, that was a pretty successful one. So yeah, it's it's uh, still funny to me. They uh, they would have like all these um, things from the original uh, author um, Ed Greenwood in mm -hmm. uh, Dragon Magazine for like years before that, and then it's they were finally like, why don't we just put this together and sell it? it worked out well for them. There you go. Yeah, I think there was even some. Forgotten Realms comic books. There were, yeah. From uh, I think DC produced them a little later. Was it late late eighties, early nineties? And mm. uh, they had a nice run of those, I think. Anyway, back to our story. Several days later, they they're again on a cliff overlooking something, and it's a little more formal looking. And uh, as we'll see, it's a Russian base. It's honestly a pretty rinky dink affair, but okay. It's like seven um, buildings and a chain link fence and some lights, yeah. So uh, Lynn is telling Sergeant Major on my signal, and he's got a, a handful of um, troops with RPGs ready. Fire! And like all these um, bazookas being fired down at this base. We see some explosions, some Russians. Um, jumping or being thrown around machine guns more explosions and a couple of uh russians yelling in that uh like italicized version get your weapons they're over there asterisk translated from the russian um, so the the 
Afghans run are running down now, shooting and running instead of just waiting till they get there to shoot. So they're they're improving as they go along. Yeah, right. Yeah. Um, they get to the gate and have a satchel bomb. Follow me, and they they pour through the gate that's now been blown open. Sergeant Major and Griffin are barking orders around. Keep firing. Make their head, keep their heads down. Let them get. Don't let them get organized. There's smoke, and they suddenly see a uh, Soviet tank that was hidden under this large tarp. Um, they <laughs> shoot the guy who was on top of it. Bring up an RPG quickly. As, um, as it's turning around to fire on them, they uh, again throw RPG at it, and it explodes. Fine, son. Shot, son. Let's go clean them up. Hmm. Make sure you get them all now. See, if Metal Gear had taught me anything, it's that you should either like run up and leave landmines right in front of the tank or try and throw grenades into the latch hole on the top. Mm, that's the that's the ticket, yes. <laughs> um, yeah, I was actually kind of questioning him, like, can you just take out a tank with an RPG? But you know, if, if the internet hadn't lied, hasn't lied to me, then I guess you kind of can. There are some are kind of designed to uh be able to defeat tanks. So. I mean, it's appropriate. Yeah, you are. It's armor piercing rounds versus, so it's meant to be able to do that. And at least some of them are. But um, yeah, if you're like 10 feet away, just throw a grenade through there. I mean, it's also explosive. And yeah, next yeah. year, what is that? Someone was saying it was, they're like 80 tons. I mean, holy cow, you know? Right. <laughs> it's interesting. Like, I still feel like even in a cartoonish level, like their tactics kind of stink. Like they blow up the chain look chain link fence gate. Right. And um, I, I, I've got a new technology called uh, clippers or something. Right. Or just drive a car through it or something. But but also like it's surrounded by a chain fence. Right. So, I mean, you could surround the this tiny base and shoot through the fence instead of like everybody rushing through the one opening that presumably they've prepared the most to defend though. Obviously they really didn't. <laughs> the Russians seem particularly bad at high ground. It's like, it's like, yeah, sure. We're walking by the, you know, they're walking by this Ridge or, you know, we have these like cliffs looking out over our base. Like we probably shouldn't bother guarding those. Scouts? What is this scout you say? I, I've never heard this word before. Yeah, it's um, well, not uh, it doesn't uh, reflect well on Soviet uh, tactics, which are um, you can imagine, um, you know, we're we're adapted eventually to to resistance fighting. I can't imagine you would stay in a country forever and not. Uh, notice that they're always hitting you from the cliffs or something yeah <laughs> so um let's see they throw more satchel bombs around and let's get out of here and into the uh, buildings which then blow up as they're leaving the old you know you're walking away and the building's exploding behind you good. it would be a good visual um, soviet base ceases to be yeah, we got like one of our first few like narration boxes. Uh, it's like as the timers fire the charges, the Soviet base ceases ceases to be. But of course, that we can see that in the picture. It's a, a giant explosion. 
Yeah, the narration box has like an ironic detachment now that, you know, you don't feel like this is Lin thoughts or, or anything, you know, it's just, you know, here, here's, here's what's going on in the picture. If I didn't bother to, if the artist didn't bother to draw it well enough for you to understand. Maybe, maybe these Russians are, again, you know, forgive if people listening have no clue what we're talking about but like the genome soldiers in the first metal gear like you can walk by them they're like huh? whose footprints are these and they'll follow it for a little bit and then just kind of give up <laughs> maybe that's their scouting quality i mean <laughs> it's a uh uh that's about how it works out i guess like the, they're melding back into the mountains and hitting uh the Russians and the Russians so far don't have a response to them. Um, that seems a little simplistic, but uh, a low-level AI in the uh, game design. So there, after this battle, uh, Lin is again talking. See, Kamal, I told you it could be done. Like they got some radio messages out. Well, it's too late now. Nothing to worry about. Later in the rebel base camp. The uh, freedom fighters are celebrating. They're uh, doing the thing where they toss, up, toss people in the air in their uh, arms. Or you know, not, I don't know. It's better than um, firing bullets into the air. I guess, yeah. It's, uh, is, is this what the, the bocce bazi comes from? Or whatever they call it? I don't know. No idea. Now, Kamal, if we can do this again, Len is really laying it on this Kamal guy. Um, you can do this again and get the other groups to do the same. Yes, my friend, they might be persuaded. Um, yeah, Sergeant Major is there with a, a small child again. I don't know what's going on at this party. Um, we see a guard looking down at the camp, which is kind of facing the wrong way, thinking to himself, I wish I was there. And we then silently, mercilessly, the Soviet Spetsnaz elite corps paves the way for the attack. That's uh, over several panels. We have like the guard being uh, shivved from the back, and then several guards being killed, then a signal being given, and suddenly paratroops are coming down into this valley. Sergeant Major is answering the call of nature and uh, sees these uh, paratroops, I guess, and sounds the alarm. Attack! Paratroopers coming in! Get your weapons! And we have a pretty large page of the Soviet paratroopers landing and the tide of battle quickly going their way. So they are attacking the camp while they're these guys are celebrating. Um, Kamal and Lin are... Uh, Getting out of the tent next, we see uh, tribesmen running around, like a, a woman with maybe a baby in her arms or something, while other people are exploding around them. Um, and Lynn is shouting, Sergeant Major, rally the troops. This looks bad. As <laughs> a guy explodes <laughs> right behind him. Like body parts flying everywhere. Like, <laughs> this might be an issue. Uh, they're pulling back, sir. But why? Oh, there's why. And here's the Heinz again coming. 
get, get to cover and uh these helicopters come in to scrub the place clean basically get to cover so they are back up in the cliffs and uh lynn is supposed i imagine saying how many got out fmo sir they are really chewing up the camp <laughs> these hinds are just yeah uh, exploding everything blowing up there. all those two-man tents <laughs> um the Sergeant Major comes back. Looks like about 20, sir, with three wounded, two badly. Right. Take uh, two with you and scout below. See what the Ruskies are doing. Sir! So, Lynn then turns to um, the young guy again. Mr. Babrak, you seem to be my employer now. What do you want done? I don't understand. If Kamal didn't make it out and we don't find him, my contract contract (laughs) is, is with the ranking Afghan leader. That would then be you. I repeat, what do you want done? Is he the king of Afghanistan? <laughs> Come on, tell me who to shoot. <laughs> so uh, he, Babrak is like, wanders off and. It's well, like, oh, uh, my family just died. Like, maybe lay off a little bit here, <laughs> bud. <laughs> Give me some space. Uh, get the hard sell to my dad. You get him killed, and then now you're in my face. Lynn is like, uh, give me a, ma- a report, Sergeant Major, and uh, who's right then sneaking around down in the valley uh, amongst what's left of the camp saying, blast, they've got Kamal. So as um, Sergeant Major is watching with a couple of guys, we hear um, an interrogation scene, which you would think is translated from the Russian, although they don't bother to say it this time. Tell me now, peasant, where is your American advisor? He backhands Kamal. I will not be patient with you. Where is the American? Kamal's defiant Russian dog spits at the guy. One last chance. Where is he? More defiance from Osama. I mean, Kamal. (laughs) Tell me now. Sergeant Major has to hold one of the guys who came with him back from, from trying to stop them. Last chance. Five, four. So he's got a gun to the guy's head, and then one. Blam! We just see Sergeant Major's dismayed reaction. Ah, oh, well, finish it, gentlemen. Finish them all. Uh, so the, the Russians go back to killing everyone else in the camp, um, while Sergeant Major and the, his two uh, companions uh, take off. So the Sakarts rejoin their friends. All the Afghans are talking amongst each other and are horrified. While Sergeant Major tells Lynn, Kamal's dead, sir. Hours later, we have the Soviets taking off in their helicopters, which are um, painted in um, like a Latin um, alphabet, not Cyrillic, which is weird, but... um, they maybe they bought them from the Greeks. <laughs> the um, there's more talk. Well, Babrak, what do we do? First, we bury our dead, and we he's back with Kamal, father. Um, and as they they're all in these makeshift um piles of rocks, they died for our freedom. We must never forget. The Afghans all uh, pay respects or pray or something. Um, yeah, there's a, I mean, not to make light of the 
dead Afghan, but like in the picture where you see his body, he's kind of in chains. Like, does it just kind of look like the colorist just kind of drew on it with a marker? <laughs> it's a little weak, yeah. Like he's got like a hole in his head, but I think the you know, so like there's no art or like the penciler or the inker didn't do like a blood trail or anything like that, but they colored one in like over top. Yeah, it seems like a uh should we have left a put some blood there? I don't know, like a discussion in the editorial office that uh it's a little um like a late edition looking yeah i don't know how how they decide like sometimes blood is red and sometimes it's not kind of too so a lot of times in comics like they'll kind of tone it down by making it like a weird orange or purple or like not quite blood color but he's decidedly dead (laughs) he is dead i i gotta admit you, you let's go off on a tangent for a moment here the coloring is always an interesting um skill to me because you like these couple of pages here we're looking at 18 and 19 are um like 18 semi-realistic coloring but 19 is all in sort of oranges and blues and you're just sort of using the color to sort of set off like the figures from the ground around them or something and then sort of set a mood so it's uh like I think more contemporary work with the um, computer-aided options you have, people would be more tempted to do a more realistic coloring. Um, But like back at this point, you had a much more limited range of palette colors to to choose from. And so sometimes instead of being realistic, you're just, you know, I need to have two colors on this page so I can distinguish things from each other. So yeah, it's. I mean, I, I didn't think too much of it when I was reading it, but if we kind of paused here, like when when they're, you know, sad looking at the stone piled graves, you know, you can see the sun's going down, and there's kind of some nice coloring in the uh, clouds there for that. And then, yeah, like as it gets darker and darker, you know, you kind of lose color. Uh, which we do, right? Like at nighttime, you know, yeah, vision doesn't see color happens. very well. That things are a little more grainy, and then, yeah, they kind of did a nice job with it when they're, you know, it's it's totally dark then eventually, and it's just the orange fire that's kind of lighting everybody. So it's kind of neat. Yeah, yeah, it's an it's this is, um, I'd say well done uh, transition um, as the colorist kind of moves us into this getting later in the day and you're gathered around a um, campfire at the end. So to get back to the story, um, so the after burying their dead, they, uh, they can you know, get back together and uh, look at the situation. And Lynn's asking, it, you know, they don't have much uh, military gear left. The Soviets took whatever they could find. And uh, maybe we have enough. Enough for what? That depends, Babrock. Have you decided what you want to do? I have. We must continue to fight. We must be people who could kill like this. I hoped you'd say that, but I think what we must do. And then they transition to later at the campfire. So that's it. What do you think? I think it is I who will follow you, my friend. 
Mm. Brock is 100% bought into the snow. That's the classic, like, telling him the plan happened off-panel kind of thing, so we don't know what ridiculous... Build suspense there. Yes. Mm. Good job. Um, here in the next page, we've got another uh, interesting ad for the Drawing Comics Kit, which I found amusing. There's a... Uh, I think even at this time, you have, you know, people... You know, across the country who are interested in making comics or getting their own comics. And uh, someone here is selling you a kit for um, doing it with uh, pre-ruled comics paper, pencils, rulers, all this sort of lettering guides, drawing comics, eraser, Dr. Martin's watercolors, which is a colorist uh, tool at the time, and um, 10 pages to color. It's a um, probably a little overpriced, but uh, you see the interest in. Um... What do you think the push pins are for? Uh, you, you you have like a um, drawing board, like you to hold the uh, art paper in place while you uh, do all the ruling on it. You've got like a T square on the board and stuff like that. Okay. I yeah, I don't know if you're. Or it is like mine, where it's like a tabletop. You're you're obviously not going to get very far with the push pins, but there's all kinds of um, basic drafting supplies here. That uh, yeah, a thirty, sixty, to... and a ninety degree triangle. Well, I guess that'd be one triangle, but two. Is it three triangles or it has? No, the, you're right. That's a one. The angles, yeah. right? So. <laughs> Um, is a, I'm thinking of a 45, 45, 90. But anyway, now that your beloved podcasters have tested their trigonometry, we'll, uh, um, you also get you can also buy an issue of X Men, X Men number one, uh, not the Jim Lee one, <laughs> for 125 dollars. So that would would have been a steal. Would have been, yeah. Fantastic Four number one, 300 up to 900 for a really good issue. There's a, yeah, blurb for uh, comic book conventions and then um, some uh, mail order back issues. Back then, I mean, there weren't like a bunch of masterwork volumes or things that you could go to. So um, the comic book conventions at the time, I remember yeah, are just in like hotel lobbies. So you have like Hyatt Hotel, Charles Hotel. Yeah, funny. Oh, Pittsburgh. At the Hilton Gateway Center. Not honestly sure where that, which one that is. Um, anyway, it's another world back then. I mean, if you want to find more, you can send a twenty-two cent stamp to. <laughs> Stamps are fifty cents. Um, back to the story. We've got this. Uh, uh, everyone sitting around the fire. So be it. You must be voluntary. All, all the men. If you don't want to go, we'll understand. We'll come. Of course, we must. A few days later at another Afghan Mujahideen camp. So that's the story. The Soviets brought out a Spetsnaz spearhead and a VDV landing force and nearly wiped us out. They were afraid of us, afraid we would hit other camps. So they sent our, their best after us. So now we find Lin's brilliant strategy for fighting the Soviets. To prove we can't <laughs> them angry, and so they send their best troops. 
he sees that as a win though right like we made we did such a good job they're really trying to kill us yeah before they were just half-assing us and only killing us occasionally now they're absolutely killing as many of us as they can find we have to prove we can't be beaten to prove we are not dead um more like uh background color of women and children should we add a sad Afghan kid with a revolver to our <laughs> list of uh, interesting? I miss the revolver characters. there. That's great. Yeah, he's like. I mean, he three. could take out Justice Warriors. Ah, <laughs> oh. oh, that face though, like he's just like, oh. Yeah, the the face. Give me your best child soldiers. We'll take it to those Russians. Oh my gosh. So, um, to prove we're not dead, we must find these special troops and we must defeat them. We must do this or we have indeed lost. Will you help? And that hard sell that uh, Lynn loves so much. Two days later, the uh, Af- this other Afghan leader is telling him, we're sorry we cannot spare more men. And it's uh, like, thanks, that's, we are either enough or we're not. The weapons and help will be remembered. Go with God. You also. <laughs> There's some great planning. Like maybe we have enough trips to do what we want to do. Maybe we don't. We'll find out if we die. Let's uh, see how this works out. So, uh, careful days later, there it is. Uh, they're on a cliff overlooking something again. It's an, there it is. It's an invulnerable, and undefeatable position. <laughs> The Soviet border. Now all we have to do is get across without being seen. Lynn and uh, Sergeant Major are talking here. You're not going, Sergeant Major, but perhaps you'll deliver this for me. And he hands him a letter. Sergeant Major demurs. Sorry, sir. You can't order me back. You're my ranking officer, supposedly. This is my fight as well as yours. Technically not either one of yours fights. But... (laughs) But Mrs. Peel, she'll be fine, sir. She can always go back to mother. Now, as for your letter, that's a good callback to the previous characterization of him as his wife. I don't know why. A little joke there. As for your letter, perhaps we can use, and this is perhaps my favorite moment in the book, (laughs) my pigeons? And why not? (laughs) Sergeant Major is grabbing something out of um, Lynn's uh, back some packs by his butt and uh yeah he's got pigeons back there we just didn't notice before (laughs) and these little like uh you know chicken wire and wood cages it's good thing you didn't sit on one or something just carried around pigeons on your butt you've been doing that for a while okay yeah that made me have to look that up too and and uh, in fact, there is a history of uh, pet, of carrier and messenger pigeons being used in wartime. Uh, they're not so much post World War II. <laughs> yeah, I was going to say that's a it's a little out of date, but um, they, I don't know. The Afghans were into pretty rugged conditions and primitive equipment. But I think my bigger question was: Would a pigeon have gone transcontinental? <laughs> right. <laughs> I mean, I can imagine them as like within Europe or something that was like a, a thing. Um, but like going from Afghanistan to New York City, 
Can it cross the ocean? <laughs> don't know. But according to the world outside our window, yes, of, of all the things that happened in the new universe, this is the least realistic that I am going to complain about. New York City, several weeks later, and we remember Gramps, the beloved secondary character. What do we have here? A message from Lynn as he checks his pigeons. Dear Pappy, by the time you read this, I'll have been gone for a long time. I.e. dead. As you're well aware, I'm not a true mercenary. Money is not everything to me. Some things, some causes mean more. Also, I'm mostly paid through a CIA front company. So really, I'm an agent of the CIA. <laughs> I'm working for one of those causes now. I'm taking a group of men into Soviet Russia to try and prove that the bear can be beaten even on his own soil. And as we sort of leave Gramps in Brooklyn, we have a closing panel of, I guess, uh, the, the Afghans in sort of, like a woods and a road taking on a uh, group of, of Russians in an, I'm going to say an armored final fighting vehicle. And again, it's the sort of rush from the trees and uh, with rifles. And the, the narration finishes. I don't know whether we'll succeed or fail, but at least we'll try. We'll do our best to keep freedom alive. If we win, I'll see you again. If I don't, Remember, it's not that I don't love you and my friends. It's just that I'm tired of things being wrong. Take care of yourself, Lynn. And we close on them rushing to their deaths, maybe? I don't know. Gotta be, right? <laughs> I just love freedom so much. Freedom isn't free. Wow. <laughs> to close out Merck uh, number 12, the last issue, as it says. However, there is the annual coming in a couple weeks um, in the, nine, the when it came out timeline. For us, we will visit that annual in a future episode. Um, hopefully that's focused back on Mark Hazard. The comic told us it would you know, that would kind of follow up on after he was shot, right? So it was like, you know, just to see what's next. Next, check out the annual. So, you know, whether or not it will follow up on uh, Lynn Griffin and Sergeant Major's suicide mission, <laughs> I'm not really I, sure. Yeah. I, wow. <laughs> so I, I'm sorry, I didn't really give much of like a back issue blurb. Um, so we had... Doug Murray, I guess, had been doing this whole arc for quite a while and with sort of one thing leading into another. Mark Hazard um, screwing up a contract, his life falling apart a bit, and then getting involved with Lynn Griffin, who had a um, plan to run Stinger missiles to Afghans. Um, Mark ran the decoy mission, which got captured while uh, Sergeant Major and Lynn were uh, delivering the actual stingers to the Afghans. Then they had to go in, rescue Mark from an Iranian prison. And when last we saw them, we're headed back to help the Afghans again. 
help get them killed like, apparently but okay right <laughs> i love that the, their discussion was like we can't just let them give back our country we have to fight them more it's um uh, you know people die in these things right it's just like this is the that's the worst t- decision i like, would be happy if the uh, occupying army just left isn't that kind of the vietnamese blueprint right like you just frustrate them until you know the public gives up and you just make them go and then that's your victory right you're not gonna take out all of their helicopters and troops and attack the mainland (laughs) maybe not the best plan so i mean conceptually um this is frustrating because um it's a uh, yeah I don't know. it seems like the the lynn's purpose here is to just goad them into getting themselves killed more which would be you know i i you know is the, the question for me is is doug murray like a neocon fanatic which is to say a person so invested in hurting russia that they don't care how many of you know, other people get killed as long as Russians get hurt, if you know what I mean. Right. Um, this was the end of the Cold War. Let me just point out that the CIA in 1987 was still saying, oh, Soviet Empire, never been stronger. Never, you know, we've got to pour more money into fighting them and blah, blah, blah. They did not give any warnings that, oh, in a couple of years, this place will just collapse economically of its own accord or anything. Um, so while perhaps the Afghanistan um, occupation drained their efforts, that's not really a model you can apply to every other country on the border of Russia, I think is something we learned. And also other countries like our own getting involved there turned out to not be that great an idea either. The... Um, so it's funny to see like books like this. Um, I also remember the Rambo three, of course, was a famously like yeah. dedicated to the memory of the brave Mujahideen. And I don't know if you remember a movie called Charlie Wilson's War. I know the name, but that's about it. It's Tom Hanks and um, it was written by like Aaron Sorkin, I think. So it has that sort of West Wing quality to it. Mm-hmm. And Tom Hanks is, of course, you know, genial, uh, folksy um, uh, con- congressional representative who is trying to get more funding to support the Afghan war effort. And it goes from like some amount of money to crazy amounts of money being funneled through the CIA and through Pakistan and all that, um, I, which, you know, and then they, 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 it's post 9-11, so it, you know, has like a, I, if only we'd stayed there funneling more money to them, then, you know, they wouldn't have gotten mad at us or something. Right. Okay. <laughs> That's well, it. Yeah, if, if the internet is to be believed, like, over the course of a lo- lot of years, something like $20 billion was sent over there, and like much, or, or spent and sent over there, but much of it lost to corruption and you know, I mean, you can imagine to the, only the most 
fundamentalist Islamic groups not exactly uh, the best plan. I mean the the a few stinger missiles, okay. Like, but like the guys with like a donkey carrying a station wagon are they need twenty billion dollars? It's a good question. Um, perhaps it's beyond the scope of this argument. Um, Doug Murray was um, basically from his Wikipedia. He was a guy who was in Vietnam, in the army. And I'll be honest, after this reading this issue, I went back and looked at a few issues of the NOM mm-hmm. and pretty reasonable stuff. Mike Golden's art, of course, is pretty nice. Um, occasionally verges into like racial caricature, but the um, sort of uh, overall writing which is what I was trying to, to evaluate, was fine. Um, I don't know if uh, this is a looser editorial hand or he's you know got a better sense of this historical situation than the contemporary one, but anyway. Um, he just did not give it a whole lot of his brain space. <laughs> also possible. How much are you paying me for this one? Oh, okay. Um. So let's see. For me, um, I, I I was not. Um, it's it's frustrating to have Mark Hazard taken off the off the stage. It's on its own. Does this comic work? And I'd have to say it's still frustrating from like both art and writing standpoint. And so I will give this a D. It mm. is barely passable in the terms of like it is a comic shaped product <laughs> but um it satisfies neither in my uh desire for um a well-told story or or you know well visualized <laughs> story so, yeah i i would invite everyone and if you still got the comic in front of you to like go back to page 22 where he pulls the pigeon out of his backpack <laughs> and like yeah, take a close look at the the, the 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 face of the pigeon, I guess, right? The look on the pigeon's face kind of says it all. It's like, uh, are you sure we should be doing this? <laughs> he looks concerned to me. <laughs> uh, so yeah, I, I, I have a little bit of relief that this is all over-ish. We still have the annual, so it's not quite the end of Mark Hazard Mark, but uh, <laughs> like if the first real characterization of Lynn Griffin uh, that we get, like him on his own, is kind of batshit crazy. Like, <laughs> I mean, even even without guy... like the the benefit of history of like knowing how badly things went with Afghanistan uh, and how bungled it has been, even into sort of modern day, it's just like, yeah. <laughs> It's a little wacky. I, I'm going C, though. It's it's not as bad as killing off Mark Hazard. Okay. Which I think uh, I get F. So. Yeah, I mean, if if this is Lynn Griffin's time on stage, I don't feel like we got anywhere with him either. So. Well, he's unlikable. <laughs> so that has been confirmed. Um. Uh, okay. Sergeant Major was okay, but like. The the everything's very surface level, and uh, uh, my frustrations only grew. 
as the last issue, yeah, as we said before, um, several we we just find out this month that several of the books were canceled. Um, but the prophecy of Marvel Age Fifty um, that one of the new universe would die. Um, I'm not sure if they like uh, this was planned to be ended before um, all the other new universes or they were just like planning to transition it to this other uh, main character um, and continue it. It's hard to say at this point. Maybe yeah, but I think in the Rockwitz interview, he sort of alluded to like everybody knew they were going to be canceled kind of thing, but. But yeah, we don't want to uh, overdo the. Um, post-mortems on the books that were canceled at this point. We'll save it for a 12-month recap issue uh, episode coming up. Um, and let's see. Anything else we should say about Mark or Merck? <laughs> Mark, I Mark. slipped there. Um, that seems like a mercy killing. So bye-bye, Mark Hazard, Merck comic. <laughs> uh, it's a shame We it's so hard to have a military comic in the 20, late 20th century they they were pretty popular for a while there and um, it's, it's still a good uh, angle for a book but uh, yeah in a global world it's a little hard to like sell bad guys a little bit now right like sure, let's sure. kill the people from this country that are different <laughs> yeah you can feel that way a lot and so perhaps they that's one reason they they more comfortable keeping it in the past. Um, Maybe this is the one issue where I can feel good about cutting out the uh, Chips Ahoy ad and making the little uh, chocolate stripe uh, flip book because <laughs> the issue is so terrible. Uh, uh, at least you're, you're still with us, M&Ms. Mm -hmm. uh, let me see. Why don't we take a quick break and we will be back in a moment with Kickers Inc. number 12. All right, Super Bowl. Welcome back from our musical interlude break, uh, just in time for some Kickers Incorporated. We never call it Incorporated, though, do we? I guess not, yeah. Well, Sound actually, I was, just, I was just thinking, again, you know, too much Metal Gear, probably, but um, there was another example where, you know, when you replace one popular mercenary, Snake, in the second game, they replaced him with Raiden, the young guy <laughs> who nobody liked. Fans were not happy. Lesson to be I'd learned. Like to learn more from this. You know, Kickers Incorporated reminds me of Kids Incorporated, which was apparently a TV show that ran from 1984 to 1993. Mm. Um, like a weekend morning. And uh, Kevin and Altaville have the kickers behave a lot more like kids than the other writers so maybe it kind of works well anyway 
Yeah, our, our issues are still lined up in this case. Kickers Inc. number 12, uh, October 87 cover date, uh, though it came out June 30th, uh, 1987. And um, last issue, uh, we had the cocaine janitor, uh, so which caused a big rift between Jack and, uh, well, you know, Dasher wasn't there, so it was just Jack. <laughs> kind of arguing with his wife and Brick and Suicide, who's maybe developing some drug dependency from his injury uh, when he got and shot. Darlene has a mysterious illness. Yeah, right. And so you know, it ended with that, you know, kind of mysterious weakness. And like, well, the doctors will let me know what's going on. <laughs> um, and um, yeah, so the world may never know <laughs> uh, this issue is not the same writers nor does it pick up on that thread at all uh, there was a little maybe line about jack weakening as well but you know lost to the ages i suppose uh, but anyway um it's got a nice cover uh, again it's like the first break for, well, for Kickers Inc., again, the first break from that classic new universe written in white on the black background. It's reversed here. Uh, and we have a Mike Mignola cover, Mignola and Howland. Um, Nolan. And actually, Kevin, Kevin Nolan. Oh, Kevin Nolan, all right. It's a very small N. I did it not is. pass my uh, vision test, I guess. But it's it's very reminiscent of, of Nolan's um, work. He, he's... Uh, uh, I don't know. I've seen him on uh, inking and some penciling uh, Batman and some aliens titles. Okay. Well-respected guy. Yeah. Yeah. yeah and it, it looks like, uh, I think everybody calls him Mignola. In my brain, it's Mignola, and that's probably wrong. But so, so it goes. I can say things wrong sometimes. Never, never talked to him in person. So, yeah. I don't, yeah. Um, it looks like his work with a lot of black, right? You know, it is, yeah, yeah. He's the Hellboy guy in my head, and this looks a little bit like that. Uh, but uh, it's a weird cover, though, even for Kickers Inc., because we've got Jack kind of diving towards us away from an exploding tree being hit by flying saucers of some kind. He's like shooting laser beams. So, mm-hmm. what? Yeah. Call back to our giant robot days of Kickers Inc. number two. Um, but anyway, op- open up the book. Um, it Again, we talk about ads sometimes because they're part of the joy of the older books. Uh, and M&M's ad, chocolate fun for everyone with the little M&M characters hitting a ball. Um, which apparently in 2023, the company's moving away from due to some internet arguments about footwear or something people are mad so they're, they're taking a break from these classic characters i hadn't realized that those m&m characters were all the way back then you know i'm, I'm so used to those like 3d uh, computer animated versions now that i was like didn't realize this has been going on for like generations of uh, m&m yeah yeah, we 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 mentioned we're recording this during the on Super Bowl Sunday, and like I feel like maybe it was the '90s or something where like those the current iteration of those characters were kind of a big deal. Like they'd introduced like the woman one, and like ooh, and yeah. it was maybe Super Bowl. Ad and oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Us. It does have like a you know post um, 
California raisin quality to it. And I think that yeah. was 90s. Yeah, yeah. Us uh, mindless consumer drones get all excited. Look at the new advertisement. They're doing, they must really care about us, these companies. <laughs> but anyway, <laughs> if they replace the right. M&M with a less popular mercenary M&M, then they'll have something to complain about. <laughs> but uh, um, so yeah, Kind of a cool splash page uh, to start the issue. The title is Watch Your Step, uh, which will make sense later. And uh, basically the kickers are in a bar brawl. Uh, Mar- minus Darlene, who you know always seems to be off a little bit to the side. But there's a bar brawl at Runyon's. Uh, the kickers are fighting off uh, what we find out to be later as a Canadian hockey team. Um but yeah, it's just everybody's involved. You know, they're they're kind of dressed nice. You know, there's uh, pool or uh, billiard balls flying around. Dasher's got a guy in a headlock, and he's smiling as he's getting ready to pound the guy's face in. And uh, suicide's like jumping off the pool table at some guy who's swinging a cue at him. <laughs> so good times. Good stuff. Yeah. Yeah. And so yeah, June sixth. 1987. So, so we are lockstep with our uh, new universe timing, uh, even if it's the last issue of, of the comic. But oh well. Um, so we go out to you know, a chair going through the, the window on the outside of Runyon's. Uh, the fight kind of continues. Um, somebody, maybe the bartender or owner, is is calling the police. Um, but we also get some see some panels interspersed with the fighting and the police showing up of someone taking pictures. So a classic non-digital Nikon camera uh, going click. Uh, so again, an, another cool panel where uh, suicide is swinging from the rafters, you know, maybe like the light hanging over the, <laughs> the pool table and just laughing maniacally. Uh, where uh, a guy in a, you know, looks like a Canadian flag kind of tracksuit is like, stand still already. Don't turn your back on me, Mr. Magnificent. Take that. And he smashes a chair over his back. Uh, of course, Jack doesn't flinch. He's like, okay, Jacobs, enough's enough. My turn. <laughs> <laughs> but he's not really uh, going to great lengths to hide his superpowers uh though hopefully he's at least pulling his punches and not you know like way back in star brand when ken punched one of the terrorists and like knocked his jaw off or, and was disgusted um but yeah so you know, bar brawl the police break it up uh with the parties over boys as they slam the door open um and then we get a little clue back as to what's what's going on with the pictures um so we get an elsewhere and some images of you know Jack hurting one of the other football players. Um, somebody's holding pictures also of like him, uh, you know, beating the lion, playing tennis. You know, pictures of him uh, that which are marked classified. You know, maybe from Joe Biden's summer home or something like that. Uh, of kickers out in the jungle. Uh, so somebody's been documenting everything they've been doing. Um, and as it turns out, it's the CIA. Dang, CIA, you're everywhere. Uh, so there's a knock, 
and we see, and the door opens and there's a nameplate and that's Scott Templar, Central Intelligence Agency. And we've kind of, I've kind of forgotten about him, or I thought the book had forgotten about him, uh, but he was there first when Jack had to uh, I don't know stop the stewardess from hijacking the plane, basically, uh, where he took a bullet and it then it deflected off of him and so templar was one of the guys who was suspicious and and uh you know trying to figure out what was really going on um but then we haven't heard from him for a while so we kind of thought he'd given up he'd given up yeah i i mean there was a couple of guys peter gray was maybe an airline airline investigator Ooh. and scott templar they just said was gray's associate who was looking into what had happened and you know they had asked some witnesses about what was going on and blah 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 um but so yeah we do have a like a nameplate that gives you know that is definitely scott templar okay good um but i'd say the way he was dressed he's in a trench coat and he's smoking constantly and looking disheveled and everything that he is also that like detective guy who was in the stands at the Super Bowl a couple of issues later. Yeah. I didn't realize at the time. I didn't really connect those two. Mm -hmm. um, that's maybe the, all we've seen this guy since then. Right. And uh, and so he's got like a, a partner who's taking pictures. There's a blonde guy with glasses and a blue suit. He's like, photos of the brawl, sir. It was a good one, I might add. Uh, this guy's named Myers, apparently. Um, he says, now oh, better get going. There's a lot more to do if we're going to pull this off before the kickers figure out what's going on. Um, and Meyer says, not much chance of that, sir. So what do they want from the kickers? Are they trying to trick them into going on more missions in San Leandro or something? We don't know. Um, so uh, cut back to central booking. Uh, and it looks like everybody's in jail. Uh, it's a little kind of hard to tell if, you know, maybe the Canadian team is just in an adjoining cell or maybe they're getting out first and kind of harassing them uh, as far as things go. Um, but uh, as, as a guy is getting walked into uh, the, the police station, he says, I'm, am I going to be in the same cell as Kickers Inc.? So clearly uh, the, the press has gotten out on this that, uh, you know, the kickers and the New York Smashers players were in a big bar brawl. Uh, today, of course, it would be all over everything. Um, and yes, yeah, so yeah, just a just a typical barroom brawl between some professional jocks. Um, this is a con conversation between Suicide and Dasher where Suicide says, how can you look so prissy after that fight, Dash? He's like, well, some got it, some don't, Suicide. <laughs> Which I, I like. <laughs> it would be a great thing if, uh, like, the Kickers TV show. The joke was that he's always looking good, even if they like climb through mud in two second, you know, commercial break, and he's suddenly perfect again every time. I like that. <laughs> Thanks to Tide. <laughs> yeah, the the hockey players are basically harassing Jack to piss him off. It's like Mister Magnificent, the man who let America down probably missed the Super Bowl for some charity gig. The duh is D-A Super Bowl, some as S-U-M. So Canadian yeah. accent, I guess. I'm just thinking he's Canadian lunkhead, you know, it's like one of the goons on the team or something. 
<laughs> Jack's always in his head. You know, he means kickers Inc. Why does he, why does that seem to be the cause of so many problems lately? Um, and the, uh, one of the cases, you know, we better leave the wimp quarterback alone. Iggy, he looks like he's going to cry. <laughs> Like, okay, Mo, I could be charitable, and this is too much for him. He's like, Wimp, your number is up. And he grabs the bars and starts bending them. <laughs> uh, but Brick Brick stops him before he goes too far. You know, it's like, hey, what are you doing? It's only gonna end up getting us in more trouble if someone sees you using your edge. Um, and so he kind of creaks the bars back into place. Uh, thankfully, they hadn't apparently paid that much attention. Um and uh, in the again, you know, Kickers has has, has changed writers a few times uh, back and forth, but uh, with Kavanaugh and Altaville, you know, Jack and Darlene don't tend to get along very well. Uh, so she comes in um, maybe with a lawyer, uh, and it seems to have kind of bailed them out, but is also reading Jack the Riot Act. And uh, there's a guy. Not really sure who he is exactly. Uh, he says, I hope Kickers Inc. is prepared to pay all damages incurred and to make a public apology to the ice cutters as well as the Canadian government. For what? For starting this ruckus, of course. <laughs> um, so bad press is the problem as far as things go. Um, I'm guessing like Darlene had come to bail them out. This was the guy who was bailing the ice cutters out. That would make sense. Yeah. Some- yeah. So um, again, then they kind of meet as both groups have been bailed and argue some more. Uh, I think it's Mo Jacobs. Is that the guy uh, who's sort of the head hockey player? Seems, yeah. yeah. So, so it seems Mr. Magna Conti took offense when I said that the Smashers probably would have lost the Super Bowl even if he had played. His reaction was very unsportsmanlike. So he's talking to the press and just like egging him on even more. Uh, says, but we've known. We've all known that since the Super Bowl that Mr. Magnificent is no sportsman, have we? It's like Jack's like, you trying to imply something, Mo? It's like, who's implying Magna Conti? And who are you trying to scare? You guys don't have the guts. <laughs> and now, actually, uh, what appears to be the guy who had been taking photos makes a suggestion, uh, though yeah, perhaps yeah. Dis- disguised as, or perhaps he is, in fact, a reporter. He interjects and says, if I might make a suggestion. Yeah, that's interesting. So that is, again, kind of, you know, cut off. So we don't know uh, exactly what his suggestion is. You know, perhaps some sort of wacky obstacle course through northern Canada, as, as the if the solicit is true. As far as uh, I was hoping for an over-the-top uh, arm wrestling contest, but yeah, okay. that worked too. <laughs> I don't think the Canadians would stand much of a chance in that one. It'd be funny if they like challenge you to uh, what is it? Curling some, you know, very Canadian sport, but you have the home field advantage. Uh, you, you are coward, Mr. Magda Conti. Uh, <laughs> what accent was that? <laughs> they have Italian people in Canada. I don't know. All right. <laughs> Yeah. Maple syrup. Mo, uh, Mo Jacobs looks like a um, Chuck Carrington bit, the, the mustache again. Yeah. It, yeah. The, the Canadian hockey players all kind of look like dirtbags, kind of like <laughs> <laughs> just a bunch of goons. So, but I, I, 
again, maybe the that's like the secondary league to the NHL kind of thing. Anyway, uh, you know, we, we get, go to the next day, uh, Flushing Queens, and basically the guys are working out. So it's Jack and Dasher. Um, uh, Jack's sort of recounting some of his problems, you know, the times he's injured other players, and, you know, the killing the lion really seems to bother him, uh, even though he did it to save uh, Suicide's life. Uh, that, that seemed to be one of those things that kind of put him over the edge initially. Um, you talk about how he's suspended and you know there's a funky moment where um, Jack starts spotting Dasher he's laying down doing like a bench press but as uh, Dasher points out like well maybe all this working out you're doing to wear yourself out is actually just making you stronger and kind of defeating the purpose um, Jack kind of gets distracted and by uh Brick arguing and then drops it and he, like he stops spotting him and almost crushes poor Dasher as he kind of d- dives out of the way. So uh, problems. <laughs> uh, it turns out Brick Wall and Suicide are arguing about like publicity um, and what the kickers should be doing uh, going forward. And then uh, Darlene hops in with the newspaper. So you know getting some news from the paper and not the television in our new universe as far as things go uh and she says have you seen this this morning's headlines every paper in town wants us to and she's thinking to herself oh these guys are fighting as usual Uh, the uh world outside your window of 1936 yeah yeah this listen this extra extra read all about it so she's trying to break in and tell him something important, but they're just arguing over the top of her. And she's thinking to herself, like, oh, frustrated with Jack, grabs a medicine ball and uh, basically beans Jack in the head with it <laughs> with a catch and just hits him and hits him from behind. She, she was totally being ignored. Uh, of course, he's super powered, so it doesn't really bother him. He's like, now that I've got your attention, that idiotic reporter's suggestion has gotten media coverage from here to Canada. This morning, I got a call from him. Apparently, the hockey pros accepted his challenge to meet us in a charity showdown. Now it's up to the kickers. And the New York sports page uh, magazine that she's holding up has a picture of Jack and Mo kind of arguing with their fists at each other, which says, Can Canada Kick Kickers? (laughs) It's a solid title. (laughs) So I'm a little disappointed it's Ed Norton's sports beat, which is, a, of course, a joke of the Honeymooners and not a callback to Arnie Beaker, the the voice of the people or whatever it was. Oh, yeah, it totally could have been Arnie, yeah. But then did you catch the look at the bottom there? No. Oh, shooter KO'd. <laughs> yeah, I think that's the first thing we've seen that, that refers at all to the behind the scenes at Marvel. Yeah, so that's like supposed to be a, like it's set up like a boxing match maybe? Yeah, um, Leonard Hagler um, was a boxer and it's like some boxer Hagler Leonard 2 shooter KO'd. So hmm. a little uh, side sideline from the um, letterer perhaps. There. Yeah, good catch. Small. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I totally missed that. Yeah. 
I don't see much else in there in the in the fine print, but um, so I, I guess this is the challenge. Says, the Bank of Canada is willing to sponsor a relay race through northern Canada, our ultimate destination, the hospital we're raising money for. Obviously, it's good for PR, everybody. I'm like, I'm like that's a really strange <laughs> challenge. Like, let's hoof it through the backwoods of Canada. I don't know. I, okay. <laughs> Maybe it's suspicious. <laughs> there's like maps on there and stuff too, as far as things go. Um, and Jack says, "I just went through this, darling. I'm not interested in doing public events." Or is that Jack? Or maybe that's Brick. It's hard to tell. Um, he says, let's stick to what we originally were conceived to do, solving people's unsolvable problems, exotic things, like Bigfoot, for instance. <laughs> oh, come on. Now he's reading the National Enquirer. <laughs> it's like, the press hasn't been too fond of me or kickers since, since the bull, Darl. What's going to be any different? <laughs> And so in that newspaper, you know, it's got kickers versus the Great White North, but also Bigfoot in Canada, question mark. <laughs> you know, I, I got to say, uh, Jack's probably on the right track here that um, alternative media is probably more truthful than the mainstream media that is now, as uh, Darlene says, is completely obsessed with this idea of this contest between the kickers and the this uh, there's a thing called Project Mockingbird or o Operation Mockingbird, which was the um, large-scale program of the U.S. Central Intelligence Agency that began in the early days of the Cold War, attempted to manipulate domestic American news organizations for propaganda purposes. So, if you have like a CIA something that the CIA wants to happen, like this race, suddenly all the newspapers are strangely telling you, "Oh, you've." got to have this race let's look forward to this race that all adds up yeah, well, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so of course because, yeah you know danielle's kickers has to make a decision on this right so, as in all of them and then they just argue a bunch more and she says children all of you well don't bother your silly little heads with it and slams the door and walks out and then immediately next panel at the end of the page elsewhere they've accepted <laughs> see they 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 call Myers and Templar immediately. Yes. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Feed it right to the CA. So uh, what is their end game? We don't know. Will we ever find out? Well, we got a couple more pages to figure that out, I suppose. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so uh, June 20th. So a couple of days later, too early in the morning, uh, they're driving a limo. Uh to the Canadian backwoods, I suppose. Um, and they're still sort of arguing and uh, about what they should be doing. And Jack's kind of childlike again. He's like, Bigfoot, let's find Bigfoot. According to this, we're exactly in the right area for it. <laughs> Darlene is kind of the straight man amongst, amongst all these goofballs. And he's like, no, this is up for discussion. You guys have a relay to run, and that's what you're going to do. Jack's gone from National Enquirer to Weekly World News, I think. Yeah. A, even level more. I think it was always tongue-in-cheek, you know. But. <laughs> so, the, I mean, the, the tiny, tiny headline on that one is also Bigfoot Stole My Wife. So maybe <laughs> that's why he's trying so hard to find Bigfoot. So he'll steal away Darlene. 
<laughs> so uh, they arrive and it looks like there's some setup. There's a starting line. The Canadian team's there. Um, they again, the Canadians are all ri- ripping into him again. And like, guess you guys have to represent Kickers Inc. since you got kicked off the Smashers, huh, Magna Conti? <laughs> um, I love how abrasive the Canadians are here. Well, they, they maybe didn't win the bar fight, but they're winning the war of words. <laughs> uh, Jack replies, I'm still a member of the Smashers, Jacobs, and we'll decide who we're representing while I wait for you at the finish line. So I'm like, ooh, your American melodrama is laughable coming from a fallen hero. This is our country, remember? <laughs> so they are on their over, own turf. Yeah, over the top jingoism from a Canadian. It's just, you know. <laughs> Why not? <laughs> Why not? Hey, take off, Ozer. E. And then Go for ahead. some reason, the they officiating guy is like, so in a competitive, truly, or in a test of truly competitive wills, these keys will be carried across our country's great northern frontier to, so like maybe keys to the hospital or something? Like, why are we relaying like old school keys? Um <laughs> Uh, we finally get the name of the hockey team. So he says, so we get a, another little joke, a seemingly undeterminable time later, as if like the guy's been going on and on before the thing actually starts. Um, so he tosses them the keys and says, so I say again, thank you, Alberta ice cutters and New York smashers. So, okay, <laughs> we have a race. Uh, and the race is actually pretty fun. Um, so it looks like Dasher is up first. It's Dasher versus Iggy in the first one. And they toss him the keys and get to running. And there's not a path per se. I think if, at some points they'll show little flags. Uh, it's kind of amazing that they kind of know where to go. Um, but uh, Dasher takes an alternate route. So he's trying to take the classic shortcut in the race. And um, you know, veers off from Iggy, the hockey player. And, you know, the he says there's a rope bridge, but when he comes up to it, it's almost completely torn down. There's like a single rope and some wooden slats. You know, it's not really much going on here that looks remotely safe. Um, but he manages to um, take some of the rope bridge, kind of rig it up as a lasso, um, kind of throw it over a branch and try and swing over the water. Uh, as he does that, the branch breaks and he falls in the mud. So, you know, our Mr. Nice-looking, well-dressed guy falls in the mud. He uh, says, oh my, forget the race. I got to clean up before I can go anywhere near cameras. Big deal if Iggy beats me. <laughs> um, but as it turns out, you know, he doesn't clean up. He, he does win his first leg. He says, it's worth the humiliation. I'm the first one here. Uh, and so he's he dashes to you know, wherever that, that first end point is where uh, Brick and uh, Pierre are waiting for him uh, to run the next leg. Uh, so first one's done, you know, kickers have a, have a lead and, you know, again, some kind of funny comments from, from Dasher. Uh, he just kind of lays down and it looks like the next guy from the Cana- the guy from the Canadians isn't too far behind. So as brick takes off, then uh, Iggy's kind of puffing his way, uh, making it there. So brick basically, yeah, it looks like they, they keep trying, trying these interesting shortcuts. 
So uh, he comes across what looks like a cave, maybe a tunnel, uh, but it's blocked by a bunch of trees and in classic brick wall style, rather than trying to kind of move them or kind of wiggle his way past them, just tries to charge them and smash through it. Uh, it says, you know, I doubt there's going to be an alternate route. So maybe this is the path. He says, I'll, I guess I'll just do what comes naturally. And yeah, he just starts running into and smashing relatively big, thick tree branches. So maybe it's start, they're starting to get, maybe he's starting to get a little suspicious. You know, why would this race have this obstacle? But maybe it's there on purpose. Yeah, this we, we're seeing like little shadows in the background of some of the panels that like someone seems to be sabotaging maybe their attempts. So. Oh, you're right. Yeah. Top of 12, there's like a tiny little figure. Yeah. I don't think I caught that the first time around, actually. The bottom of 10, that's more obvious. But mm. yeah, 12, you, you really have to hunt for it. But... Yeah. So um, at the end of the second leg, they're basically neck and neck. So, you know, Pierre made up some time. Uh, he says, the big man faded in the end. You don't expect your offensive lineman to be particularly fast in a relay race, I suppose. Uh, but he also, you know, he cleared the way for him. So uh, Rick does him. not have a runner's physique, I got to say. He does not. Uh, but suicide probably does. So the third leg, of course, they're going to put Jack in the end, is suicide versus Joseph. Um, and here it gets a, even a little bit more crazy. So they're they're running sort of neck and neck. Joseph is again kind of sassing him. I'll, it will give me great pleasure to humiliate you, Mr. Smythe. I hope you can handle it. Uh, so I guess maybe this guy's a little bit more pleasant. <laughs> um, this is one hour and 57 minutes later. So he's been running for two hours. Wow. Okay. This is like a whole day affair. No cameras on him or anything either. So it's just, you know, they're just waiting for him to hopefully not die and show up at the next <laughs> checkpoint. Is this like a yeah Iron Man tri triathlon or something? Yeah. It's like a couple hours of running each, and it, yeah, yeah, it's pretty bonkers. But uh, you know, we get a nice callback. He says, you know, actually, Coach Kirby's philosophy is coming in handy. Just pick a consistent pace, not too fast, not too slow. Of course, I'd never tell Kirby that. So maybe I can help my rhythm a bit by humming a tune. And so he's doing like a, a goofy version of. Uh, like sting every breath you take <laughs> kind of thing. Uh, it's the police probably at that the police point. yeah yeah every breath you take every smile you fake um every hip you shake every cake you bake i'll be watching you but yeah so he notices something up on the hill above him so again like in mark hazard you know the those cliffside high ground is always the most dangerous and uh deadly position uh, looks like there's somebody up there. He's catching catching a glare, but then a rock slide is coming at him. So somebody's trying to kill him, right? Not just put some trees in his path or knock out the rope ladder. Um, but he manages to kind of you know survive after kind of being knocked down the hill a little bit. Um, says, well, I was cutting it a bit close. It's like looks like the safest, but you know. So basically, he takes rather than kind of taking the safe route back up. He makes a leap and kind of climbs up the rock face to kind of keep going in the race as far as things go. So, you know, things are getting a little dangerous. Next panel, you know, 
suicide still in the lead. So he, he's got a big lead coming through uh, to, the, to the last checkpoint, which is, of course, down to Jack versus Mo, the guy who's been sassing him the most as far as things go. Um, again, Darlene and him and Jack are kind of arguing. He's like, I don't even remember what we were arguing about this time, Darlene. Maybe that's the problem. There's always something going on, people watching us. And she's like, we just need some time alone, Jack. He's thinking to himself, and this is not actually. It's like he just need the Bigfoot to kidnap her, so I can have some alone time. <laughs> but no, I added that. That wasn't real. Um, so suicide runs up. Uh, the Canadian is nowhere in sight just yet. Uh, so he hands him the key to the relay, uh, and that gets a nice kiss from Darlene. I want you to go out and whip those ice cutters, dearest. But be careful; it's getting dark. He's thinking, he says, no sweat. And he says, with my edge, this race is as good as over. And yeah. And then a full six minutes later, uh, Joseph catches up, gasping and panting uh, to Mo, frustrated. It's like, hustle it, beanbag. That buffoon's got a good lead on me already. <laughs> so he sasses even his own Canadian teammates with uh, with meanness. That Mo, Mo Jacobs, not a nice guy as a hockey player goes. You know, the you get a better shot of their um, outfits the, the ice cutters are wearing in this panel, which is basically a, a um, response maybe to the Kickers Inc. uniform of blue on white jumpsuits. You've got, they're wearing red and white jumpsuits with the big Canadian maple leaf on the chest. And uh, it kind of makes you think this would have been a good sort of counter ongoing villain in the kicker's ink would be to have these uh, rude Canadian ice hockey team come in and try to steal their thunder or, I don't know, sabotage their investigation or something. I don't know. Yeah, kicker's ink rolls up to uh, like one of their uh, missions. Uh, if they're going to help someone and the Canadians are already there. It's like, ah, too late, Jack. <laughs> we already took care of this and punched out the bad guys. <laughs> Like, oh, yeah, it was old man uh, McCready. You didn't <laughs> figure it out, did you, Jack? Because you weren't even here yet. <laughs> Doesn't even have an edge, and he's still able to thwart me every time. <laughs> uh. So, um, as we're coming to the end of the race, right, the, the last leg, Jack versus Mo. Uh, Jack's running later that night. So they've run all day. Like, this has got to be the, if this is on TV, this is the most boring event in the existence of mankind. Uh, he's running and thinking 10 miles more to go before I reach the fork in the road. And then this relay business will be over with. Maybe then we can get Kicker's Inc. back on track. He says, hmm, better slow down. If I win by too much, people will say I cheated. Um, he starts seeing some lights in the woods. He says, where did they come from? Those lights seem to be moving. I says, gee, maybe they're UFOs. I'd love to find them. I'd love to follow them and find out, but I'd better keep running. I've got a commitment to keep. Right? But here's like the devil and the angel on his shoulder kind of thing. So it looks like they're moving off now anyway. Um, so he, he holds the line. Uh, half a mile later, it says, almost there now. Just got to follow the flags. But then he sees these strange lights again. It's like, lights, they're back. It's like, what's this? Footprints? They're huge and going to the left. So it's these giant, basically, big foot footprints. So somebody, somebody's uh, uh, 
or you know, Jack can't resist the, the Bigfoot. The lights, maybe you know, like, ah, I gotta win this race. Bigfoot, though, like, it's like you got little uh, claw marks at the toes. It's a nice touch. I think. Yeah, it's like, I got a little time to kill. I'll just follow these tracks for a mile or two and see what happens. Let's go tortoise in the hair. Uh, <laughs> five miles later, we get. It's like I gotta turn back soon. If I blow this relay, I'll be in hot water with Darlene and the boys. Whatever it is, I'm only seconds behind it. Maybe it's so you hear like he's hearing like a snap and a crack in the woods, and you see it's Bigfoot silhouette. It's Bigfoot. Uh hello? <laughs> Wait, come back. Um, and so here's where things get really wacky. So he follows past some trees. Uh, looking for Bigfoot and there's a cabin in the woods and a little bit of a clearing and there's lights flashing there's UFOs streaming by uh, there's a little group of something uh, out in the distance he says wow UFOs this must be some alien spaceport or something <laughs> right sure why not uh, it's like this is too big for me I better leave before I'm discovered hey that looks like the reporter Myers he's being attacked by uh, little green men so we got aliens, we got UFOs, we got Bigfoot, we got a mysterious cabin in the woods. Um, something's going on here. It's like a whole season of the X-Files jammed into one panel. Yeah, exactly. Uh, so Jack basically jumps into action. He's running and things are like lasers and UFOs are going off all around him. Then uh, in, in sort of like a very quick abbreviated version of the nice cover, cover image we got. Uh, but he grabs Myers, kind of holds him, uh, smashes through the door of the cabin, and then is face to face with Bigfoot. And apparently, huh? Bigfoot's cabin. <laughs> Bigfoot has a cabin. Okay, then. So Jack is squared off against Bigfoot. Uh, Rolled outside your window. Yes. <laughs> he takes a swing at him. Um, notably, and this will be important later, the the uh, reporter who had saved Meyer said, the giant just missed me um, as Jack kind of dives out of the way and says, he's too slow for us. Um, also mentioning that the place didn't look half as big from outside. So something's going on there. Um, Jack kind of lands, is trapped. I guess it's my edge against a legend attack. <laughs> so he dives straight for Bigfoot flies straight through it, uh, which leads us to believe it's a hologram or something, uh, but also smashes through the wall. Uh, and he says, what? An invisible wall? So again, I'm not sure if that's a holographic wall. So it's a little, it gets a little messy, but basically um, some electricity crackles. And then all of a sudden now you can see there's a huge setup of like cameras and projectors and things like that. I say, what's going on here? Um, oops. The reporter has disappeared. And so he's like, oh, Myers must've gotten out and he flees. And you don't really get much closure on what exactly was going on there. Um, other than uh, it's hours later that Jack finally makes it to the finish line. Um, like oh civilization now i can get some help and oh boy i'm in hot water now darlene darlene <laughs> but my fall i was chasing bigfoot <laughs> right, so, so some officials there uh arguing with darlene in the starting line you know threatening legal action i'm not sure if it's because of because he lost the race or just 
ruined the TV special or what? Yeah, I guess if he like had, he never showed up again, it like it ruined their uh, broadcast. I guess. Yeah, so it must have been just very late. You know, even the Canadians aren't around to to sass them at this point. Um, so yeah, I'm sorry I'm late. Uh, sorry, ain't good enough, Bella. He brought more negative press on this affair than you can imagine. You and kickers will pay for this. You know, surprisingly, leaving a bunch of sports players to run through the woods on their own in the middle of nowhere and didn't work out so great. Uh, Darlene's yelling. This what took you so long? Number one uh, broadcast of the year, can- Canadian CBC or whatever CBC, they call it. Yeah. <laughs> She says, what took you so long? He says, I saw Bigfoot, I think. She's like, what? <laughs> <laughs> this is it, Jack. You've finally done it. They're going to hang us in the papers. Not to mention, and there's a guy with a camera who looks suspiciously like Myers, though we only see him from behind. He says, how about some pictures, Jack? He's like, not now. Says, we'll finish this in the hotel. He says, but I swear, Darl, there were UFOs and everything. So, Poor Jack. <laughs> uh, and then our last page. Uh, later at the Alberta Grand Hotel. Um, and so he's explaining what went on. He's like, and then there was nothing left but cameras and some electronic equipment. And they have a hard time believing him. And it's like, maybe you ate something. Maybe it was a wild dream. Says, no, I saw it. I'll show you. I'll show you. So I guess he takes him all the way back to the cabin. Um which is just flaming wreckage at this point. And, um, he says, I'm not kidding. Myers and I were almost killed by this Bigfoot creature. And uh, Smythe is, you know, no, there's no UFOs, no Bigfoot, no Myers. And we blew the relay too. He's like, I've had enough. I'm ready to go home. This Dasher is like, just basically leaving Jack there, like fiber gas is like, I just don't understand. <laughs> Everybody's kind of walking away from him. I don't understand you, Jack. All I understand is you. Uh, oh, all I, all I understand is you've cost the kickers plenty, Jack. And so the day is ruined. Uh, and as he walks away, we see a hatch in the ground pop open. And it's Myers and Scott Templar. Uh, he's holding a video camera. He's holding like, uh, Templar's holding uh, like a reel of film. And says, I understand it all now. He just stands there smoking. And the end. That's it. The end. <laughs> Goodbye, Kickers Inc. And that is that is it. It so there is no next issue. Uh, As we no said for the up. yeah the beginning of the twelves. That is we we've got the universe news announcing the end. These books, which are being canceled with the issues on sale this month, include Kickers Inc. While we've tried to provide some sense of resolution to the final <laughs> issues of these titles. You've not seen the last of these books' characters. Yeah. I, mean, I don't know if they're trying to imply that maybe the resolution is like Kicker Zinc is done. Like they're all so frustrated with Jack, but like, you know, two lines of barely any dialogue. It's like, I don't know. It, I had the feeling like there's, there was supposed to be more and then they just kind of had to wrap it up. But I would say this is fine if it were the first half of a two parter. Or something yeah it feels like it there's so much um left unresolved here 
Yeah, I mean, unless Scott Templer's entire plan was just to figure out what was going on with Jack and whether or not he had powers and then to do nothing with that information. It's a perfect plan that way. Yeah, yeah I mean, yeah. I think the, the, the photos he was showing from the intermediate issues, the lion, even the um, tennis game against his, his old boss, the jungle mission so i would have thought they had a good enough sense of this but okay you want to test him a little more under controlled circumstances or something okay yeah and, and were they trying to see if the rest of the crew had powers too by like trying to kill them uh sabotage was maybe that yeah that that does make sense i guess more than just what the hell were you doing so, okay, that's a good thought. Um, They're waiting to see if Dasher like jumps over the whole riverbed, or if Suicide doesn't get killed by falling boulders. I thought the 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 keeping the saboteur in shadows was trying to make us think that it was Bigfoot that was doing this stuff. But um, <laughs> I mean, you know, that's that's a hard sell for us. So. Really, really big shadows. But that would have uh, been kind of awesome, actually, if it was Bigfoot and his holograms. Causing all these problems. Bigfoot. We all remember Bigfoot and the holograms, that kids show from the late eighties. <laughs> um, I thought that was the rock band, Bigfoot and the Holograms. Right. Well, they uh, <laughs> they um, mystified me. They did manage to 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 provide some sense of uh, continuity to the previous issues that I didn't feel while we were reading them by having this guy sort of either watching or manipulating things behind the scenes. That's true. And I, and I guess this was the writer's first book was where that guy first showed up. Right. In six, maybe. Um, so I like that. But it just like, okay, so we, we, we do. And I mean, why would the CIA be asking them to go on this mission if they didn't have some idea of this? I don't know. Yeah, I guess that could kind of tie it in, right? Yeah, it, it didn't really make sense that the CIA reached out to Kickers Inc. And there wasn't any particularly good reason why they would try and screw them over. So, yeah, I guess that kind of works, whether it was planned or just kind of cleverly pieced back into a story to kind of have that um, where, yeah, they, they set him up this whole time. I mean, they would kind of explain why they had pictures, too, so... Well, but um, overall, I mean, I do like Cabanon Altaville's writing here. This is um, sort of, uh, yeah, the sort of fun hijinks that, that they had been working with before. And if it seems a little random, like I said, the as a collected, as a collection, I don't think this works too well, but as like month to month and you reading along, it's fun. It's a, it's a, it's you know light, adventurous, yeah. enjoyable. I agree. Um, yeah, if, if we we're reading the issues like one right after another, then the personality shift is going to feel a little strange for Jack being either very serious and competent or a little bit goofy and that kind of thing. But tonal shifts that would give you whiplash. Yeah. Yeah. I would say, yeah, the, the, the more, again, I've said this a few times, but the, the more I read this issue, the more enjoyment I get out of it, because there is kind of like 
a lot of little jokes and details and stuff. And I, I definitely enjoy the uh, annoying Canadian anti-kickers team as well. So, Yeah, that's cool. Um, Still a little sad to see Kickers Inc. go, but yeah, we'll, we'll save that for the, the recap final finale. Because since Kickers did not get an annual issue, so... Right, this is the end, completely the end. Although, um, if I remember right, we do see Jack pop up in later things. So, um, how much we'll hear about how his marriage or teammates are doing is, is an open question. Though. Yeah. So, so what would you rate this one? Um, I'll bump this back up to like a B. Like yeah, fun. I was thinking the same. I'm not um it's it's only the outside influence of it being canceled and not having a, a better resolution to this story, let alone the series. Um that that really I'd be, I'd, I would ding it more for. But uh, in terms of writing and art, no complaints. Um I think yeah. the I don't know. There was like physical evidence. I mean, and that Myers guy. So like, it shouldn't have been like so completely crazy to the his friends that you know there was nothing going on. But I don't know. Yeah, at the very least, like an oddly burnt down cabin with probably some mechanical equipment in there. But um, I don't know. Let's not uh, linger too long on on. Where Kinkers ends up. Um, I was thinking actually while we were doing, while it, the, this story was going on, but you know, it, a few years later, like or closer to now, I think Kickers would work sort of as like a reality show, you know? Like hmm. It's a setup for a group of semi celebrities to do goofy things. And like Jack is in here is saying, there's cameras on us all the time, we're being watched all the time. And maybe that's just publicity and maybe he maybe he's sensing the CIA, but you can imagine sort of people following around a group of semi-talented, you know, guys trying to solve uh, stuff as, as a decent setup. Um, yeah, and if, if, if the secrecy is gone, like if, if that were a, a spin on it, if people knew he had these sort of powers, there would be almost like a booster gold kind of situation even like the dc character where he's like you know has a business and sells action figures and that kind of stuff yeah yeah so hmm. it uh you know kicker zinc does not get a lot of good press but i think we both had a pretty good uh run with it so yeah it's definitely fun I, i'm sad to see it go if you were going to talk about the so yeah, so so we'll do next time. There's there's a whole squad of fun uh, universe news slogan ideas. We'll see if there's any really good ones or some stinkers. Uh, but otherwise, that's it for this week's episode. Two canceled books. Next time we'll be looking at yeah. two not canceled books. Yeah, interesting how they they got spread around. Um, but justice number twelve. Justice has purged the evil within himself. Now it's mankind's turn. Written by Jerry Conway, penciled by Keith Giffen. Or, Justice number 12, there is evil in this world, 
and now there is justice. Mm. This sounds bit. like justice is going to purge all of mankind. <laughs> there's a, there's a, um, there's an ad I remember, like I see sometimes when, in the new universe, uh, it must've been from later issues where it's like one of these paranormals is going to kill a million people. And one of them is justice. And I'm like, justice is the one who would want to kill a million people. Right. This is probably still bad people to spare after that. <laughs> uh, but not, not to be outdone. Uh, DP seven, number 12, uh, Dave, the last free member of DP seven is finally captured. But as the clinic discovers, he's far from helpless. For when Dave and Randy team up to battle the head of the clinic, anything and everything goes. Plus, Ooh. plus, and there's more. Ah! Revealed for the first time the true extent of Randy's antibody powers, written by Grunwald Ryan Tangal, or the short version showdown at the clinic with the ultimate paranormal. So, Ooh. finally, a lot of payoff in that issue, I think. All right. That is something to look forward to. <laughs> um, but yeah, so upcoming after that will be the New Universe Annuals. Um, maybe they started coming out next week, but we'll keep them in order as far as things go. But yeah, in the meantime, you know, check out the rest of our episodes, our website, kickersinc.com, uh, where you can find our various contests. Please email us with questions and contest ideas or our slogan ideas at newuniversepodcast at gmail.com. And uh, this has been the voice of the new universe, and we'll see you back at the spinner rack. Don't throw away the duck. <laughs>